Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Thanks for coming out today. Um, with that last song, I almost changed what I was going to preach on today. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but it's been a very interesting week for me. So I'm going to give you a devotional before I give you a sermon. My apologies. Pay attention to the devotional or the sermon or both. Uh, would be a, a blessing. But the song really reminded me of what I have as a vision of what the church should be like, which, if you've been paying attention at all, is the broken body. And the broken body is when flawed, sinful people come together, knowing that we need the mercy and grace of God because of our weakness, and getting into that community with other flawed, sinful people, and then being able to express not only experience, but also express that mercy and grace to one another with our shame and our doubt and our guilt and our sin and our weakness and all that stuff and be able to say, you know what, though? I'm still with you. I will walk with you. And it reminded me so much of this week as I talked to one person who was uh, debilitated by depression, stuck at home, couldn't move, went and visited them, had a talk with them. And then myself on, on Friday, from Thursday to Friday, um, just kind of going through a normal week, and then like I walked into a wall of absolute depression, the sort of despair of, you know, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Who am I? Is this really worth it sort of thing? And just for a whole day with this cloud hanging over me, with part of the conversation as to why am I experiencing this? This, this doesn't make sense to me. And I was beginning to wonder if maybe what I'm experiencing is either what the person I had spoken to yesterday so that I could empathize with, or maybe there's someone even today here now in this congregation at this moment who has hit that wall, not just once this week, maybe all week long, and maybe for quite a long period of time, that has just basically said, is this really worth it? Is it really worth following God, or is it even really worth living? Added to the fact that I happen to be watching Chicago Med and in season two, I think it's like episode 14 or 15, if you, you want to look at it. It's an episode that deals with suicide, where a doctor is asking those questions. He makes mistakes. And then when you're in the emergency room, you can't make mistakes. Eventually, it's too much, and he walks off the end of the building. I mean, you just watch it, and you go, whoa, what the heck just happened there? And then to realize as everybody is dealing with it, how do I deal with this? Everyone is feeling guilty because they looked at the person and no one had time for him. No one was willing to listen. No one saw him. And it reminded me so much of that Ruth message that I gave because that was the whole thing about Ruth. Nobody saw Ruth as Ruth. They just saw her as a foreigner, as a Moabite. So I'm thinking maybe there's someone sitting in our midst that's just going, nobody sees me. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Why doesn't anyone recognize my pain? And so with all those things running through my mind, I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to make that part of the sermon because I feel also that what I would like to say is important. But if you're here today, you don't have to move now because I don't want to embarrass or shame or guilt or anything like that. But if you do feel that, please come up afterwards and uh, I would like to pray for you. And I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm too worried. Please just come. Just come if you're feeling that. So um, that's not maybe the best way to start a sermon. So let's pray And uh, then we'll hop into conflict resolution conversation. God, I I just, uh, you are absolutely amazing. 
And unfortunately, it's so hard for us to see. Reading a book that Linus gave to me and recognizing that the Psalms and Job and so many other places in Scripture where people are just overwhelmed by grief, lamenting their situation, talking to you honestly, openly, with realness and rawness, and how you listen. Reading this week in a book on depression about David Brainerd, who struggled so much believing that you could actually use what he felt was a worthless tool, a worthless person like him. Yet your grace and your mercy continuing to minister to his heart, to continue to help him press on and see people come to Christ. Father, we live in a world that is just overwhelmed, not only by conflict, but by pain and hurt. And we come to church And in our silence, we cry out to you in a weird way, even though we're silent. Help me. I am breaking down. I pray for each and every one of us when we get there, when that dark night of the soul comes, when your presence feels absent, when we're so empty we despair of life, that we might actually find mercy and grace not just in you, but in the church that surrounds us. To find that people do see us. To find that people do care. And so, Father, I pray, even as we talk about something else, please help us to keep in mind we are a broken body. We are a broken body. It may not be the most politically correct thing to say today, But we are sinful, we are flawed, we are weak. We do want what we want. But the beauty of the gospel is that you see all that. You still love us. You still reach out to us. You can overcome all of that. And let us experience that mercy and grace we so desperately need, not just once, but all throughout the day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today I want to talk about conflict resolution, the conversation. I was going to talk about the necessity of patience and long-suffering, but I felt that that can also be encompassed what we're going to talk about today. Now, let's be honest. How many of you experienced some form of conflict this week? Be honest. I'm going to be honest. I had some uh, in the middle of preparing the sermon, I had conflict. <laughs> I was like, dude, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, I'd like to say it was spiritual warfare, but the real reality is it was just my sinful attitude. And so uh, conflict is just naturally a part of my life. Is anyone here ever argued with those automated systems um, that you get when you call things? You're laughing because you obviously have. I have. Uh, I find that kind of amazing. Uh, one of the amazing things is I was, I was... It was literally like talking to the thing, and I said, listen, you stupid AI, I want to talk to a person. How are you ever going to join Skynet and take over our world if you can't understand the simple language of English? Now think about that. I'm having conflict with a machine. And so conflict is, is a part, I think, of even though I'm a peace faker to the maximum, there is still a lot of conflict that I experience. And I had the joy of watching Disney Plus's Zombie 3. 
probably on all your foresee movies. Anybody? Nobody else? Oh, come on. You're missing a horrible movie. <laughs> I, so I think I'm seeing it was one of the worst Disney movies I've ever seen. But it was powerful. Because what they talked about in the end was conflict. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. This is a sermon illustration in the happening. And the reality is what they were saying was conflict is not a bad thing. Conflict can actually be a good thing. Because if we can recognize that we have differences, find a place of common ground, and actually come together in the midst of our conflict and actually talk about our differences and our commonalities, we can actually one day come together and have a better place in which to live. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how does Disney get this? Sometimes in the church we don't. Conflict resolution is really important to the church. And so what I want to talk today about is how do you have that conversation? How do you have the conversation that you want to have with someone that you're in conflict with? So I'm going to give us four G's, and I want us to know, first and foremost, is these are not my ideas. Uh, These come from a book by a man named Ken Sandy called Resolving Everyday Conflict, because I pretty much... I'm convinced that every day we have conflict. And so I want us to know that this is not mine. Wow, I get two today. I must be special. It was one for the devotional and one for the sermon. All right, excellent. But I want us to see, even though it is an everyday experience, this doesn't mean that it has to ruin our lives. It may actually be opportunities for us to grow in our empathy, our compassion, our understanding. And sometimes, as different as we think we are, We're not as different as we really think that we are. So the first G that I have for us comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it says this, So then, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of our great God. And that's why I brought the NLT and the Amplified Version in there. I like the way the Amplified Version says it. It's our great God. It's not just God, but it's it's our great God. There's something that is great about God, and in the midst of whatever we do, we should seek to glorify him. Now, if you want to talk about a broken body, the church at Corinth was a broken body. Divisions all over the place, morally inappropriate relationships, all kinds of confusion about what to eat and drink and how to use spiritual gifts and is the resurrection real. You have a church that's in conflict And yet in the middle of this, Paul says, listen, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, anything that you do, make sure that you do it for the glory of God. And the Corinthian church is a church that says, even as messed up as you can be, we still should seek the glory of God. And in the midst of all of this, when we're talking about conflict resolution, the point is pretty simple. Go higher by bringing God into the situation. In other words, 1G is go higher. Go to a higher person. Go to a a higher authority, someone that we can turn to that can help us out. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be absolutely honest. This first G is utterly idealistic and unrealistic. Here's what I mean. Have you ever been in a conflict, and at the beginning of that conflict, you said, hallelujah, hallelujah. Here is conflict. Now I may enter into worship with the Lord Jesus and settle this. Raise your hand. Nobody, right? This is 
unrealistic. I mean, in the middle of my sermon, as I got into the argument, I had just finished looking at this. And my response was not, oh, God, this is great. I can see how this works. My response was, how can you say that? After all I do, you can say that. So I'm understanding myself. I'm preaching to myself. I must go higher because this standard is absolutely idealistic and unrealistic and not always successful. So that's why we go higher. We go higher because we say, God, I, as a flawed, sinful person, I need a little help here because my response is what I want my response to be, not what I know your response is for me to actually carry out. So we go higher because we're looking to God because realistically we represent him. We represent God so that no matter what you do, people can always say, oh, is that how God is? Oh, that's what God does. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because what they're really saying is when we react negatively, when we call ourselves followers of Jesus, what they're saying is, oh, that's what God is like? We represent. And so we must go higher. I can remember years ago when I was turning into the Chinese church that I used to be a pastor at, and I was considering, do I cut this guy off? Because you know how you are when you're making that left turn and it looks like Grandma Jones is driving down the highway and you're like, I'm not going to sit here wait because of all the traffic that's beyond. And so you kind of cut them off, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do, right? You're in a hurry. You want to get in there. And I said to myself, and I don't know if this is the spirit or just me speaking to myself, but don't go. Because you represent God, and what they're going to see is that church sign and the fact that you just did a jerk driving moment. In that sense, it's go higher because we represent him, and the ultimate thing that we want to do is whatever we do, we want to glorify God. We want to bring honor. So here's the question that I think we need to ask when we deal with this first G, which is how can I honor God? Again, idealistic, again, unrealistic, but I think necessary. Because when we get into that conflict and we begin to train ourselves, what we're saying is, God, how can I honor you in the midst of conflict? This conflict is here for a reason. It might be something that I need to learn about myself or you or the other person, but whatever it is, it's here. But I have an opportunity to honor you. How do we honor God? First, we trust him. We trust that he's in control of the situation, and then we obey him. What does God want me to do, and how can I thirdly imitate Jesus in this midst? Now, if you read scripture, you'd have to be blind. Jesus was in conflict, and there were times he went full bore on people who were stuck in their sin like the religious leaders of his day. But our goal and our desire in resolving conflict is to how can I honor God? How can I make him be the one who is honored by the way I react to this conflict? Now, here's the scary thing. How many of us love to use God as a weapon? Do you ever do that in an argument? Am I the only? Man, I must be the most sinful person in the world. Because sometimes you weaponize God, right? I mean, you use God's word even to prove your point. Well, God isn't saying honor me by using my word as a weapon. Instead, turn it into a plowshare, which reminds us of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, 
where we turn our weapons into plowshares, where we stop fighting one another and we start working together to build something. This first G is important. Go higher by bringing God into the situation. Bring God into the situation in your argument. Could you imagine if two people are coming together and they say, you know what, I want to honor God in this. I really, really do. I'm really, really angry. Don't get me wrong, but I really want to honor God. Do you think the conversation would change a little bit? Which brings me to the second point. Get real by owning your part in the conflict. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says this. And why worry about the insignificant speck in your friend's eye, your brother's eye, when you do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend or your brother, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to deal with and take out the speck in your friend's or your brother's eye. You see, what the passage here is saying, or what Jesus is actually saying, is listen, you want to resolve conflict? Then you need to get real and own your part of the conflict. Now, it's absolutely unrealistic to think that in a disagreement, you are always playing some part. Sounds a little awkward, doesn't it? Because sometimes it is 100% the other person's fault. Sometimes people are just mean. I remember, if you guys remember, um, I was going to say Jenny Ya, because I think she was Jenny Ya at one point in time, but she became Jenny Lee. And uh, she, her sister was standing outside of a street on New York in New York City, and someone came up and just popped her. I don't know why. Nobody knows why, but they just did. That's, that's conflict right there. So you can't say, well, see, it was your fault because you were standing there. If you were standing there, you wouldn't have gotten hit. That does not make sense. So it's not always you play a part. But when you play a part, you should own it. You should own it. In other words, instead of just saying, hey, it's all you and I'm angry, but own the part that you play in the conflict that you have because we take responsibility for what we're doing. How many of you have been in an argument and somebody comes up to you and they start it? Right? We don't always start the argument, but they start the argument and they come up and they may say something that offends you, bothers you, hurts you, or whatever it is. And your response again is to honor God, right? Come on, someone comes up to you and they say, listen, dude, you're a jerk and um, I really don't like what you did. I found it to be incredibly offensive. And I, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I think I would have popped you. And your response was, hallelujah. Your honesty is refreshing. It's real. I lo- right? That's how I respond. You guys don't respond that way? Man, you all got to go to church more then. No, we don't respond like that way. We go, that's what I did? Let me tell you what you did. You think what I did was horrible. You dirty... And you go on and on and you tell them how they're wrong and how it's even more egregious. And their response then is, whoa, glory to God, this has gotten out of hand. Let's come together in peace, right? No, it escalates, right? The reality is it escalates. You see, when we're sitting there and we're bombing each other with what we've done wrong, we're not resolving conflict. We're inflaming conflict. And so what Jesus is saying, listen, when you're in a conflict, look at yourself. Own your part of it. 
Don't sit there and get, dude, it's a, it's, it's a personality quirk. It's just the way I am. <laughs> you know, I'm just like that, you know? Let's let it go. No, it's not like that. When you're offending someone and when you're offending people, personality quirks are still sin. Telling it like it is, going full bore, can be sin as well. So we need to own our part of the conflict. We need to stop making excuses. We, not, we need to stop accepting the things that are a part of who we are and say, you know what, i got to work on this for real. This is hurting people. It's one of the funny things in, um, in our home, and uh, my daughter's not here, maybe she's watching online, um, but she's gotten into it. She learned a Polish word, which means but. And um, so started saying it, and then I started saying it. And I could say, well, I'm Polish. It's a personality quirk. It's not. It's wrong. It's wrong. It takes us back to when Jesus said, when you call your brother Raka, idiot, moron, imbecile, fool, it's wrong. Just own it. Just own it. I have found that people are very, very forgiving. But the struggle that people have is that thing called apology, which we've talked about several times. Because we don't want to own it. Because we think that we are the moral police. We have to set people straight. If we don't set them straight, no one will. And when we say that, I wonder if God says, hold on a minute, so are you saying I can't do that, so we need you to do it? No, actually, I don't need you to do it. I can do it myself. So in a conflict, if you want to really resolve a conflict, you have to look at yourself and say, here's the part that I play. The family dynamics that I see sometimes in my house, there's one person who always initiates, but there's going to be someone else who's going to follow up and make a fire of it all. And they both have to say, I have done wrong. I'm not saying be quiet. I'm not saying walk around and let people offend you. What I am saying is that when someone offends you, how do we go higher? How do we honor God? And then how do we take responsibility for what we have done? I may say something that offends someone. Did I intend to do that? No. Like Leon. Leon, again, where are you? Over there somewhere. Over here. Even yesterday, I saw your face, brother. I saw your face when we were talking about that graduation thing, and you looked at me like, oh, oh man. And I, and, I, and I felt bad because of what happened between us. You've got to own what you have done wrong. Take your part. Own it. The conflict cannot be resolved. It's rare, I will say this, it's rare that both parties don't share some fault. Now, your fault may be 2%. If your fault is 2%, then own 100% of that 2%. Because what is going on here is Jesus say, get real and own your part. You are part of the conflict. Own it. Third thing, gently engage by helping others own their part of the conflict. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, should, without a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, gently and humbly help or restore that person back into the right path. 
keeping a watchful eye on yourself, being careful not to fall into the same temptation as well. Gently approach someone. This, I think, is the person who needs to give forgiveness. I think they're speaking here. You don't want to come up to somebody and attack right away. To immediately attack the person, not necessarily the problem, is to create more problems. And so what Paul here is speaking to the Galatians, he's saying, there are some people who when they stop following God, don't run up to him and say, you, you, you horrible sinner, you, you backslider, you bad person, you messed up person. Recognize they're in need of mercy and grace and come to them, not to rebuke them, feeling that you're the spiritual police, but to gently restore them because in reality, you're not the police, but you're a doctor or you're a nurse, you're a healer. You want to restore them. You don't want to break them. Even the shepherd, when the shepherd breaks the leg of the sheep, it's not because, wow, I've got nothing better to do than to break sheep legs because I desire to feel powerful. In that sense, when that happens, it's a sheep that's so recalcitrant that won't refuse to stop that a part of that breaking of the leg is an actual moment of healing. But because we don't have the same sensitivity that a shepherd might have or that Jesus might have, the encouragement is to gently seek to restore. Speak to the person and say, this is what's happened. Be real. Be raw. Be true. Don't be afraid. But because I want to restore the relationship, I'm not going to attack you. I'm going to attack the problem. Because ultimately, and there's many other pieces of scripture that I have there, but I didn't want to wander forever. But Galatians is calling us to come together and gently restore. Because restoration is ultimately the goal. It's the, it's the desire that God has for his people to come together. God's desire is not to just simply have unity for the sake of unity. And again, I go back, I just thought even, even this Disney movie understood it. Because the, the reason the alien planet, and I'm just going to ruin the movie for you because I don't think you're going to watch it and I'm not encouraging you to do so. But the alien planet was destroyed because their main goal was be unified, but no one spoke up about the problem that the planet had and the planet was then destroyed because no one spoke up. Your gentle restoration is not an invitation to be silent, hoping that everything will work itself out. But it's the idea of go. You who understand God in this moment, you who want to honor God in this moment, you who have gotten real with yourself and your own weakness, just like this verse talks about, are to go to those who are walking away from you, walking away from Christ, and gently restore them, bring them back. Reminds me of the sermon that James McDonald gave years ago, and he said, go get the wanderer. Not go beat the wanderer. Not go yell at the wanderer. But go get the wanderer and bring them home. It's very similar to what I think a, a parent would feel towards their child who keeps wandering away. Your desire is to go and woo them and bring them back. <clears throat> Gently restore. Fourth G, get together in sincere conversation, apologizing, forgiving, and arriving at a reasonable solution. Let me read these verses for you. So if you present your offering, your gifts, a sacrifice, which is the verses that we looked at two weeks ago, in other words, worshiping 
at the altar in the temple. And while there, you suddenly remember that your brother or sister or just someone has something against you, such as a grievance or legitimate complaint, whether intentional or not, leave your offering or your sacrifice there at or before or in front of the altar and go. First, go and make peace. Be reconciled to your brother, your sister, that person, and then come and present your offering, your gift, and your sacrifice to God. Expecting that you all remember what I talked about last time, the next verse, important, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another, readily and freely, just as God through Christ has forgiven This, to me, I feel is the capstone. It speaks to the person who needs to apologize and the person who needs to forgive. The place that we ultimately want to get together is to be able to say that we have been reconciled. Not that we've come to an agreement, but that you've actually been reconciled. I'm going to put good money on it. There are people in this room who have polar beliefs than I do in terms of politics towards scripture, towards parenting. But it doesn't mean that we cannot be family. And what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is when you have this conflict, come together and make it right. And when you come together, he speaks to those who need to forgive. (coughs) And he says to them, just as God has freely and extravagantly forgiving you, forgive the other person when they ask for it, obviously. Because one of the things that I'm always reminded of, there is no forgiveness if there's no repentance. And I want to say that I believe that's God's perspective and it's a biblical perspective. I know that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, if the person says to God, I have not sinned, I have not done wrong, the forgiveness is there. It'll always be there. But if the person does not accept it, there is no forgiveness. In the same way, if you have someone in your life who refuses to apologize, reconciliation is impossible, which is why I believe Paul in Romans 12, like we talked two weeks ago, says pursue peace as much as is possible with you. We also have to make a distinction between forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. Forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. Thomas Watson, a Puritan writer, says this about forgiveness. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them, this is gospel forgiveness. That's forgiveness. When you can say, I will help you. You have hurt me. But after we have reconciled, I will not hold it against you. But that does not mean you forget, right? If you've ever been abused by somebody, if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and they've cheated on you, do you forget that? You don't. You don't forget that. You may never forget that. But it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven. 
If you know anything about me, you know that I struggle internally with a lot of the anger that I sometimes feel when people offend and do nothing about it, which is probably why I wander down this path. And how much it frustrates and how much of a, of a struggle that it can actually be when there's silence, when, when you look at somebody and go, is it not obvious? And they don't see it. And I know in my heart, like Thomas Watson would say, in my heart I say, I can't wait for you to suffer like I have. I can't wait till you experience what I've experienced. And then I'm just going to go, ha, now you know how it feels. That's wrong. That's sin. What Watson is saying is if you can get to the place, though you may never forget, but you can get to that place where you can look that person in the eye and say what has happened to you is a calamity, and I'm there with you. That's when you know you've forgiven. You'll never forget, but you can forgive. I confess I'm not perfect. I know that, as I've told you before, there are many people that I've offended all throughout my life. I will unfortunately continue to offend people. So I want you to know, even if you're hearing, I don't want you to think it's all on you. There is so much I need to work through in all of this. I need to spend a lot of time apologizing to a lot of people. So how do we do this? We can go to the last slide. And I'm going to give you two applications and I'm going to take, take, change the last one. The first one is this. Take time to do a relational inventory and then act. So we're getting ready to land this plane. I'm going to be pretty simple. Write out the people in your life and start asking the question, have I offended this person? And if you find that you have, you haven't apologized, go and make it right. Jesus would say, don't even come to worship, just go and make it right. Or if there's someone in your life that you know that you need to forgive and you're struggling to do so, then take these four Gs and begin to pray that God will open up that opportunity. I find it absolutely amazing that when I start praying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to approach this person. Can you help me? That it happens. But you have to take a relational inventory because I think many of us are living in this bliss that, no, I've never hurt anyone. But we have. I'm even going through the list of all the people that I have that attend church, and I'm asking myself, do I need to apologize to this person? Have I said or done something? Because I imagine that I probably have, but it just hasn't come out. And so God, lead me to these people that I need to say sorry to because I don't want them to be sitting while I'm speaking about the love that you have for all of us, for them to say, you know what, you dirty, rotten, stinking hypocrite, I can't even listen to you. <clears throat> I've had it happen. I've heard it happen to other pastors at other churches, even this church. I cannot listen to that person when they speak because they have hurt me, they have offended me, and done nothing about it. So take a relational inventory. And the second thing is this, although I'm saying ask leadership, well, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you really need help and support, please ask me. I would really love to have a support group <coughs> of people who are looking to get together and say, can we go through conflict resolution together as a group of people, a small group, so that when we can learn how to do this, in turn, we can help others do the same thing. I believe peacemaking is the call of God on our lives. It's Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And Paul in Ephesians 4 says, make every effort 
every effort to maintain the bond of peace brought on by the Spirit of God. That's our call, to be peacemakers, people who are honest. When we are offended, to approach the offender. When we have offended, to approach those that we have offended and apologize, to exchange forgiveness, apologies, and a way to resolve our conflict. That's the broken body. All of us here recognizing that we are flawed, sinful people. We step on toes. We accidentally bump people. Sometimes we intentionally bump people. God still calls us together to act like the broken body in need of mercy and grace. We need to experience it and then express it, whether it's through apology or through forgiveness. Let's pray. Has anyone come to mind that you need to apologize to or you need to forgive? Neither option is easy. More often than not, it's someone in your family. But it could be someone here in this church family too. So before we start singing again, I want to give us about a minute, minute and a half, just to sit there and start that relational inventory and say, God, bring to my mind someone I may have offended or someone who's offended me and I need to approach him. And I just want to open that up, reminding you again, if you're that person or people who have felt like this week has been a horrible week, where I just want to quit because I'm worthless and useless, take the time to pray. And then get prayer afterwards. Let's take about a minute and then the worship team will close us out in song. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.